You are live with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here with Andy Brar. We've got uh, an awesome show for you today. Beautiful day here in Vancouver. There's no snow or anything. Sure, it's cold. It's cold. It's cold, but it's okay. Uh, we are going to uh, have uh, an awesome guest on uh, in a little bit. His name is Duncan Stewart, Director of Research over at Deloitte Canada, about the technology, media, and telecommunication predictions for 2017. There's some really cool stuff. Yeah, so every year Deloitte makes these predictions. I was a fool back in like 2012 who thought that, you know what, some of his predictions, I didn't believe it. And I was like, you're wrong, Duncan, you're wrong. And then the following year, he was right. So now I, <laughs> I take his predictions as my own. And so I'm really looking forward to some of the predictions for 2017. Yeah, some interesting stuff. Have we reached uh, peak tablet? Uh, for tablet sales, uh, we'll be talking uh, about uh, virtual reality, where that's all headed, and something from the past that's now a billion-dollar industry, and uh, you'll have to stay tuned to hear what that uh, is all about. Uh, interesting stuff uh, in the news this week, Andy. Nintendo uh, finally has revealed their new console launch date. It's uh, called the Switch, and uh, this is their attempt to remain relevant uh, when it comes to video gaming consoles. Uh, the big players right now, Sony with their PlayStation, Microsoft with their Xbox. Nintendo had a big hit with their Wii back a few years ago. They haven't been able to replicate that. They brought out the Wii U, uh, which was kind of an interesting console. I don't know if you ever got one of these. I got one for the kids. Mm-hmm. It's a video game console, and it comes with a tablet controller. So it's like a touchscreen tablet controller that interacts with the the console. This new one, the console itself is an entire tablet, a touchscreen tablet with removable joy pads on the side. So you dock this thing at home, hook it up to your TV like a normal video game console, and then if you want to go out and about, maybe go up to your bedroom or take this thing commuting, you take it out of the dock, and it's like a portable video gaming unit. So it's both. It's two in one. Yeah, Nintendo's always... uh, been pretty innovative when it comes to that. They're not shy to try some really crazy uh, concepts, you know, with their Nintendo DS handheld, you know, with the two screens on it. Yep. When that came out, I thought, what are they smoking? But that was a hit. And let's them. not forget, Nintendo's the one that created the first mobile gaming with the, the Game, Game Boy. Boy. Yeah. Way so, back when. I don't know. It's interesting. I think um, there might be something here. It's going to launch March 3rd, $399. U.S. I- uh, two ninety nine US. Oh, three, sorry, two two ninety nine US. Three ninety nine Canadian. Uh, Andy, you've got a PlayStation, right? Yes. Does this interest you? No. And and you're talking <laughs> to you're talking to somebody who grew up on Nintendo, like. Yeah, but why? Well, one, it, it's like really, who is their target demographic here? Is it is it the thirty something gamers? That I, think used to play? To, I think they're trying to go after casual gamers. That's, that's why the Wii U was such a hit. Yes. Um, the hardcore gamers, you know, they liked it. It was cool. It was different. But they got a whole new audience of casual gamers that might not have picked up a game console. Yeah, when the Nintendo Wii came out, a lot of people didn't think it was going to be a hit. It surprised everyone. It had those motion-sensing controls, so you could actually use them to play tennis and, and what have you. Uh, the, these new controls on this uh, new console they have do the same thing. Exactly. So I, I, I'm just, you know, I know gamers, and we know that esports is huge on the uh, computer side. So it's like, how big is this casual gaming market? The people that just, you know, play the occasional game. Because, and, and, but the big question, where are they? I think they're on their smartphones. Well, that's the thing. Now what you're trying to do is attract people. The casual gamers are mobile. They play on yeah. their smartphones and their but tablets. But they're making this console mobile. Exactly. But is it too big? 
It's too big. And is it too, the, the price point? A lot of people are not happy with the price point. It's a $400 price point yeah. in Canada. What's cool and very nostalgic is they're using the cartridge system of Nintendo from the yesteryears. Yeah, little mini cartridges. Which I think is a, is a good move because a lot of people are familiar with that. Um, they're... If it's going to be a success, it's got to be through the Super Mario games that they're going to be coming out later in 2017. But I like I'll tell you one thing, Mike, I'm not going to be buying this anytime soon. And I was the guy that like lived and breathed Nintendo growing up. I had every single one of their consoles. I, I still like Nintendo. I don't have time. Well, play. that's the thing. Yeah. Nobody has time to play video games. You make time to play video <laughs> games. <laughs> uh, OK, I read this one story. I, I thought I had to tell you. You probably didn't see this. Okay. Uh, on on the topic of weird technology. We saw a lot of that down the Consumer Electronics Show. Yes. Uh, how about uh, smart jeans? Well, do tell. What? what? <laughs> <laughs> so these uh, are a pair of vibrating smart jeans that uh, work in conjunction with your smartphone, I guess, uh, and your GPS. So... If you need directions to somewhere <laughs> and you're walking, uh, you, you punch them in on the app. And as you're walking, when it needs you to turn right, the right side of your jeans vibrates. <laughs> yes, I, I'm sure they did a lot of market research and said, <laughs> we have determined that there is a huge demand for people to have vibrating jeans, jeans to tell you what direction you're going into. Would you buy these? No. no. <laughs> but la- when we did the show last week... Yeah. Uh, at CES, you had mentioned about this this uh, gadget that I never saw over there, the yeah. Pico Brew. Oh, the uh, the home craft brewer. Yes. Yeah. So um, I made it my uh, mission to find these guys at CES, and I did find them, and I did talk. So and we, you drank all their beer. I I I did research. Yes, yes. I did try their beer. Um, I'm very interested in that technology, so I reached out to them. And um, are we getting one? I'm working on it, Mike. We're gonna, we're gonna. <laughs> it's our two favorite hobbies: we, we, beer we and to, tech. We seem to get a lot of brewing technology. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. What was the other the, one called? Yeah, physics. The, I know. It was, was called physics. Yeah. yeah, with the F. Yeah. And that one um, gave you the draft beer experience using bottled beer at home. Do you know where that is now? Uh, probably in your kitchen. No, it's in my garage. It's in your garage. I, no, I try to bring in the kitchen. Uh, Alana, my wife, said, "Get that the hell out of here," because it was big and she didn't know what the hell it was. I think I should clean your garage. You, <laughs> <laughs> I, you know what? That's the thing yours? is, do you remember how skeptical we were? And we said, no way that could this actually... Yeah, so this is like a... How do you even describe this thing? It's like a container. Yeah. And it uses like air pressure. Yeah. And somehow... You, you open it up, you put like a bottle or a can of beer in Yeah, kind of like a little cooler, a yeah. cylinder cooler. So and it's you, like, and it turns it into like a little tap. And there's a tap on the front yeah. and it has a hose that goes into it. And then it's battery powered and then what you do is you just pour it like you're pouring draft beer, and it sucks it out of the, you know, the glass that you have it in. The bottle, yeah. Or, the, or a bottle. And it gives it this carbonation to make it like sweeter. And I remember when we were trying it, we were like, there's no way this thing's going to work. Okay, we did that segment at the end of the day. We're yeah. all tired. Yeah. Sure, that beer tasted great. <laughs> it did taste good. It, I, I really enjoyed it. And so now this other, the Pico Brew, yes. now you brew your own beer. That's, like, yeah, so you pick different craft beers. Like, like 120, like 100, diff- 120 yeah. different ones. All, all around the world. Or now you can make your own. Like, well, you can experiment, you can yes. Exper- yeah. You're like, I can oh, tell I you like what's going to happen there. Things are going to go wrong. Well, no, no. You, you can become like a little chef. You're like, oh, I like that beer, but it needs a little more hops. And so you can add that in and create your own, own beer. You know, this thing is very interesting. I was almost ready to buy it, but I thought we should do a review first to, uh, to see if it uh, 
handles our taste buds. Somehow I think uh, it will handle yours. When we come back from the break, we've got Duncan Stewart. He's the Director of Research for Deloitte Canada. We're going to be talking about the big tech predictions for 2017 when it comes to technology, media, and telecommunication. Something from the past is now a billion-dollar industry, and you will not, you can't even guess what it is. Stay tuned to find out. Well, it's uh, time to look into the tech crystal ball. Uh, Andy and I just got back from uh, Las Vegas, as you heard last week. We were live down there looking at some of the uh, the gadgets uh, that should be coming out in the next uh, year or two. On the line right now, we have Duncan Stewart. He is Director of Research over at Deloitte Canada. Always uh, happy to have you on, Duncan. Good to be back. Uh I love your predictions. Uh, there's some pretty interesting uh, stuff here. We're going to be talking tablets, uh, artificial intelligence, uh, new 5G uh, wireless uh, technology. But let's uh, start with uh, with the tablets. Uh, have we reached peak tablets? And we're talking tablet sales. Yeah, we're talking peak and, and, and maybe past the peak. Uh, so... Uh, growing up in Vancouver, I skied, so I remember after the peak comes, what, what's the next run? Uh, we're down down the cut or going down Blueberry now? Yeah, pretty much. So, uh, tablets hit a peak of about 240 million units a year a couple years ago, and then, and then they've kind of just dropped off. This is new sales. We're down to about 160 million units a year in uh, 2017, which is a, a pretty steep drop. Uh, we actually see that continuing going forward. Uh, tablets, uh, I mean, I've got a four or five-year-old tablet, and I keep thinking, uh, man, I should replace it one of these days, and I keep not doing it. Uh, a five-year-old tablet is actually still good enough for, for most of what I need to do. Well, I, I think when I look at my tablet, I'm, uh, I think I've got several in my home. Uh, I'm not in a hurry to replace any of them. You know, I, I surf the web on them. I think that's probably 90% of uh, what I do and maybe a bit of email. Uh, there's nothing really that it, it can't do right now. Maybe if I was into like some high-end gaming or something, I'd want something a little more powerful. But I, I can imagine most people are probably happy with uh, what they've gotten at the moment. That's some of it. One of the other things is that actually a lot of people are using them less. Uh, this is kind of a funny thing, right? Like, why would you do that? It's still a great tablet. When the tablet came out, that was 2010, and our phones were a lot smaller back then, and our computers, our laptops were a lot bigger and heavier and, and, and had shorter battery life. Both those things have changed. Phones, my phone's now 5.7 inches or something like that. It's almost as big as a small tablet. And my laptop, I get I get 10 hours battery life, and it weighs half what it would have five years ago. So as as those devices, you know, got, got more competitive with the tablet, that's starting to squeeze them out. Um, we asked Canadians, we asked uh, 1,600 Canadians about their, their device habits, and we asked across 15 things, you know, watching videos, playing games, uh, web, web browsing, as you just said, reading news stories, which is something that a lot of people do, you'd think, on tablets. And although some people really loved their tablets, when we asked uh, all those Canadians, men, women, young people, middle-aged, older people, in no demographic, in no gender, uh, did anybody say that for any of those activities, the tablet was the number one device. It's it's really interesting. We like we like our t- TV on TV sets. We use our laptops a lot and our smartphones a lot. But the tablet's always a distant second, third, or even fourth to those other devices. Duncan, I remember a couple of years ago, a lot of people were getting tablets instead of buying a laptop. And typically, tablets are a consumption device where you're consuming content. And they were trying to make them as productivity devices. Do you see people using tablets to get work done, or is it just to consume content? 
There is a little bit of that. There are those devices, that you, some people there call them hybrids or convertibles or two-in-ones, and they're devices that either can detach or they, they look a lot like a, like a normal sort of a laptop that you can flip the screen around, or there's the uh, more high-power tablets, bigger screens, more powerful processors, and they've got a keyboard you can attach at the bottom. There are sales of devices like that, but they're, uh, they're about 20, 25 million a year, uh, which is not bad, but it's, it's, it's a small percentage of either the tablet or the PC market, and I came across this astonishing study. Uh, you know those, uh, those two-in-ones I talked about where you can uh, buy a thing and then you can detach the keyboard uh, and pull them apart? 50% of people who own those devices pulled them apart the day they bought them, then put them back together and have been using them like a regular laptop. Uh, I, I, you know what? I, I knew it. <laughs> it, it. It looks like a great idea at the time, but uh, I, I find a lot of times those detachable ones, cool, but the tablet thing is it's bulky. It, it is too big. It is too big. So, so tablets not going away. One thing I should say: uh, f- three to three to ten year olds, kids three to ten, absolutely tablets are huge. Uh, frequently the number one device. A lot of them have access. But by the time they start turning ten, eleven, they start wanting a smartphone. And then when, by the time they're fourteen, they put aside the tablet. They they keep the smartphone, but then they add on a laptop to use for schoolwork, gaming, and watching videos. Who's taking the biggest hit? Uh, is it Apple or the Android space? Uh, we actually uh, don't make that prediction, uh, but in all honesty, uh, it seems to be affecting virtually all tablets equally. So we were teasing a, 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 a new, <laughs> don't call it new, billion-dollar uh, uh, category right now. It's kind of a blast from the past. Tell our listeners what it is. Uh, well, unfortunately, one of my colleagues makes uh, this pun whenever he talks about it. Uh, we're talking about old-fashioned vinyl, and he always makes the joke, is this the vinyl countdown? And then I've got that oh, no. song <laughs> running in my head for a couple of weeks. Uh, we are predicting the seventh consecutive year of vinyl sales increasing globally. Uh, it will be a billion-dollar market when you count new singles used, and of course the turntables you need to play with it. So this is, this is coming back, right? But you've got to really put things a little bit of context here. We, uh, we, we ran the numbers, and back in 1978, uh, you know, there was over $10 billion worth of vinyl sold. So uh, getting all the way back to a billion, well, it's better than, than, you know, zero, but we're still a long way short of the peak we set back in 78. So uh, uh, growing up in Vancouver, I remember going down to A&B Records, and uh, I don't think that's there anymore, is it? No, that you know it's sad that whole street, Seymour Street. You know yep. it had uh, Zulu Records, uh, A and B Sound. Yep. Uh, you know all of them, and now gone. All gone. All gone. So uh, vinyl's there, but it's a bit of a niche. Uh, people are buying it. One interesting thing is uh, Ipsos, the polling firm, did some work for Deloitte this year, uh, and and we asked Canadians, "Are you buying vinyl?" And about twelve percent said, "Yeah, they they buy it at least occasionally." Eighteen percent men. Apparently, it skews more towards men, which I was a little surprised at. But the the stat I love from the Ipsos survey was that uh, we asked, you know, how often do you play it? Ten percent of people who buy vinyl never play the record. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if this is frisbee or really big coasters or it just sits on the shelf or something, but they're they're buying it and not even playing it. You know, I, I could see that uh, Christina, our our, uh, our app experts uh, in the studio, and during the break, uh, she was saying, "I want to buy a record player," and I'm like, "You know, that's it's really cool and romantic, but it's it's a pain, <laughs> right? You know, you got to put that record on there, and then you can listen to about five or six songs. Then you, you turn it over. Then you got to turn it over." 
you know, the the novelty wears off pretty quickly. There's a reason why we have uh, migrated to a digital uh, music. But Th- that said, Mike, that that beginning when you when you just drop it and just before the music starts, that that little crackling sound, uh, nothing can replace that. Yeah, it's kind of, it's almost a romantic sound, isn't it? Absolutely. Do you, do you see the category growing or? You... Yep, but it's growing off. Of, it's it's still a small base. It should grow ten twenty percent a year, but it's 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 still small. It's still small. I'm waiting for cassettes to come back. Oh, eight tracks, eight tracks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know what, uh, Duncan? If you don't mind, I'm just going to get you to hang on the line because we want to uh, get a few more of your predictions. You bet. Andy, the contest before we uh, hit the break? Well, speaking about those convertible laptops, we're going to give one away. <laughs> uh, no, this is not convertible, is it? It is a convertible oh, laptop. Okay. This is the HP Pavilion X360. Oh, but this thing is beautiful. Yes. You can't take it off, but you can bend it in all different shapes and ways. You can only has a 360 hinge on it, allowing you to put it in a tablet mode or into a laptop mode. This thing is beautiful. And the good thing is you don't have to take it off because we already saw research says that you only take it off once. Um, to enter, all you got to do is go to our website, getconnectedmedia.com. Hit on the contest tab to enter and win the HP 360 convertible laptop by our friends over at Intel Canada. When we come back from the break, we'll uh, be talking about the next frontier for GPS, uh, machine learning, and uh, what's happening with the, uh, the telecom space. We've got 4G now. What is 5G and when is it coming? Back after this. You are back with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo and Andy Brar here. We will be going open line in a little bit, taking your tech calls and questions. We also have Christina in uh, talking about her app of the week. But right now on the line, we have got our friend Duncan Stewart. He's from Deloitte, Canada, talking about tech predictions for 2017. Duncan, I want to talk about uh, GPS and, and digital navigation. I don't know if you heard the first part of the, the show, but I was telling Andy about uh, a new pair of smart jeans that have GPS built into them. Uh, I had not heard that. <laughs> how, how exactly? Never mind. Don't want to know. <laughs> you probably don't. Uh, the Great Indoors, the final frontier for digital navigation. What's this about? GPS is great, but it only works when you can see the birds flying around in the sky and it doesn't happen indoors. So when I, as soon as I walk inside a building, I mean, it kind of knows I am at the corner of, you know, uh, Burrard and whatever, but it doesn't tell me where. Uh, what it does now is by using a combination of small cells, uh, Bluetooth beacons, and especially Wi-Fi routers, our phones are now going to be able to do indoor mapping. As a matter of fact, uh, I actually saw this technology on my own phone just last week. I, I walked into the airport here in Toronto, and as I went inside, my, my maps actually popped up and said, do you want to see an indoor map? It showed me where I was, where my gate is, and you know where the washrooms and the pizza place was, all within an accuracy of about two to five meters. The really cool part of this is, is, of course, that it doesn't just show you your position X and Y. It also, because it's so precise, allows you to tell you which floor you're on. Not that any of us have ever parked our car in a seven-level parkade and remembered that we were in slot A34, but we forgot which floor. So we actually see indoor mapping as being a thing uh, that will be as big as outdoor mapping. We predict 25% of all journeys will have an indoor component by the year 2022. I like this, especially yep. in uh, large places like shopping malls and uh, uh, you know concert venues and things like that. Absolutely. Uh, we did a survey. Those are exactly, we did, this is the Ipsos one again. We did it with Canadians. Where would you use this? Parking your car was number one, but they also talked about shopping malls. They talked about concerts. Uh, just the, the use cases are almost endless. Is there any privacy issues with this now? 
Uh, not really, because it's just all on your phone. I mean, if 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 you it, this is just mapping. There are other beacon features where you have to sign in and give away personal information, but the mapping one shouldn't be shouldn't the indoor mapping one shouldn't be one of those. Could you opt out of it, Duncan? Uh, you, well, you just don't launch your map, right? This is this is on your. <laughs> That's phone. the opt out. Don't launch the map, Andy. <laughs> No, but this would be great in in, this would be great in shopping malls as well. Like if you're looking for the Levi store, for example, you can basically just punch that in, and it can guide you right there. Or when we're in Vegas, Mike, and I can just find where the blackjack tables are, so I can find you. (laughs) And if you guys if you guys were at CES, this would be huge inside CES. It's such a zoo inside there that uh, more you know where is that booth would be a fantastic thing. Oh my god, that would be a godsend. Yes, because I was constantly looking for booths. You know, they give you the booth number. God help you trying to find that. Exactly. Doesn't help, doesn't help. So what's the incentive uh, for people to have this set up in their, in their venues? I guess a monetary one. Oh, I mean, obviously as a retailer, you know, you know, it means more people, happy people finding the stuff they need, finding the stuff they want. And there's also a public safety angle. If you're indoors and you have a medical emergency, they don't know where you are these days. Uh, with this, they would, be, they would be able to dispatch the medical crews directly to where you were and the right floor. So there's all kinds of implications. What's happening with uh, self-driving cars? Well, this is a funny one. Uh, self-driving cars are coming. Don't get me wrong. A hundred years from now, nobody's going to be driving their own car. But, but how do we get there? There's a technology. It's available now. It doesn't cost much. It's about $500 per vehicle called automatic emergency braking. And we know that the U.S. auto manufacturers, all the major ones by 2022, are going to have all 100% of their cars uh, have this automatic braking feature. Uh, we predict that by 2022, one-sixth of the U.S. vehicle fleet, about the same here in Canada, uh, will have this, this, this safety technology, and it will save over 6,000 lives per year. Uh, w- w- why? Because robots are faster than you are. They're faster than I am. The, the, the robot camera on the car, the, ra- the, the radar, radar or the laser, uh, looks ahead down the road, maybe even around the cars in front of you, sees an obstruction and hits the brakes many, many, many times faster than a human being ever could. And, of course, it never gets sleepy, it never drinks, and it never texts and drives. So uh, we think this technology is, is almost a no-brainer. Uh, we've, in fact, polled Canadians. Overwhelmingly, Canadians would rather have automatic braking than have the steering wheel taken away from them. One day we're all going to have uh, robots drive our car 100% of the time, but most of us aren't ready for that yet. Duncan, I had a chance to try this technology out at a Toyota media briefing at a racetrack. And basically what they said is they got me in the car and they said, here's a wall. Just drive right into it. Oh, come on. Right? So basically I was driving. I let go of the gas and they said, don't hit the brake. And as I get to the wall, it just suddenly stops. It was, it's weird, but. How fast were you going? I wasn't going too fast, maybe 20, 30 kilometers, but it definitely stopped and I did not touch the brake. And I thought that was a really interesting feature. And like you said, Duncan, it's going to save a lot of lives. Yeah. But I got to chime in, in right here. It, you don't have to stop. So this is, I don't know if you guys remember physics back from high school, but there's a thing called a kinetic energy. It goes up with the square of your speed. It's exponential. If you have an accident at, at 30 miles an hour with all of our safety belts and, and airbags and stuff, you, your car is going to be damaged, but you're not going to be killed. The odds of being killed in an accident under 30 miles an hour, 50K, really low, like you know, 3 or 4%. But, but if you're going 60, your odds are 60 miles, 100, over 100 kilometers, your odds of dying in a motor vehicle accident are over 90%. So the wow. key thing about this technology is it's great when it stops the car entirely, but even if it slows you down, you really increase the likelihood of surviving an accident. And, it's, and I think that's a subtle distinction, but a really important one. 
And that's mandated for all the automakers by 2020? It's not 2020? mandated. It's a voluntary agreement by the automakers. And you know what? I'm going to make a prediction right now. You know, I remember back when seatbelts and airbags and stuff came out. You just didn't buy a car without them, even if it wasn't mandated, simply because for a few hundred bucks, the idea of saving your, your wife, your kids' lives is just so compelling that it's, it, it's, it's pretty cheap. Whereas full self-driving, that's, that, that technology is tens of thousands of dollars and will be even, even still $5,000 or more five years from now. Duncan, I'm going to ask you to hang on the line one more time. I think we're going to take you on for another segment. Okay. Uh, I just want to talk about 5G, the next uh, generation in uh, wireless technology. You're listening to Get Connected. Mike and Andy here. We'll be back after this. We're looking into the future here on Get Connected. Mike and Andy here in studio. Coming up uh, shortly, we'll uh, be talking with Christina about her app of the week. We uh, have decided to keep uh, our good friend Duncan on a little while longer. Duncan Stewart, Director of Research over at uh, Deloitte uh, Canada. Thanks again for hanging out today. You bet. Uh, I want to talk about 5G now. Uh, I think we're all uh, tethered to our uh, smart devices, our smartphones. Uh, Many of these smartphones uh, running on 4G networks. The next evolution is 5G. Explain to our listeners what that's all about. So, exactly right. 4G is uh, LTE, long-term evolution, fourth-generation wireless networks. been around uh, since 2011, and pretty much everybody has them. And 5G is this thing that everybody's kind of looking at. When does it happen? When does it get standardized? And it's like 2020, 2021, years off, right? So you don't need to worry about it now. Actually, the interesting thing is just as we move from 3G to 4G through an interim step called 3.5G, we've kind of got 4.5G going on all around us across Canada. The Canadian uh, telecom operator have introduced a thing called LTE Advanced, LTEA, and that is being rolled out, and it's talking about speeds in the hundreds or 200, 300, even 500 megabits per second. Uh, so that's real cool, real fast. Uh, it's mainly in the urban area, so Vancouver would have it. Meanwhile, you know, I, I sort of suspect that once you get, you know, along the sea to sky, you would not see that at all. Uh, it requires an urban, pretty dense environment for that sort of speed. But as this technology rolls out, we are proving that 5G works, and we're also getting used to the idea that we can have wireless speeds that are blindingly fast. And there's a real neat implication to that. So you start looking at things like 500 megabits a second or even a, even a gig uh, by sort of late 2018. And I start wondering, do I really need a, a line into my home for Internet anymore? Or could I cut the cable entirely and put a thing up on the side of my house and do it all wirelessly? And that's something called fixed wireless access. And that's something that's really interesting to watch for the next couple of years. Because I think we're going to see some people, not everybody, but some people start thinking about that. So this is, you just brought up something really interesting. Is this technology going to do uh, what cell phones did to landlines, home lines? I think it's wired connections. Not all, not everybody. If you are a home and you've got a business and you're watching a lot of 4K TV on virtual reality glasses and you've got five kids, wireless won't be fast enough. But if you're, you know, a little more moderate and, and you don't use all that much data, we could truly be looking at a wireless future. Uh, and, and that would be interesting because, of course, that means you don't need a copper line coming into your house. You don't need a cable coming into your house. And you don't need fiber optic. We've, we've been looking at fiber for a few years now. But if this wireless stuff comes along and works as promised, we may not need to drop fiber optic. And that means no digging up the front lawn. Duncan, can we expect that we're going to get bigger data plans? Because if it's going faster, you're going to be eating up your data within seconds, especially if you have like a gig a second. 
dude, there's a question you meant to ask me there and you forgot. Duncan, are we getting bigger data plans? And what happens to the cost per gigabyte of data? Well, that's that why I don't want to know. <laughs> that's the one you're, I know where you're going. I know where you're going. So, one, yes, they're going to have to increase the size of the buckets just because if you are, if you're drinking from a fire hose rather than sipping through a straw, the, the, you know, you, you, have to, you have to increase the cap. What I also expect to see is that there are a number of advantages of, of 5G technology. Uh, this is including all kinds of new technologies that you guys don't care that much about, you know, different antenna configurations, multiple MIMO and qualm modulation and carrier aggregation and all that fun stuff. But what it all means is it should actually be more efficient at using uh, this, uh, this wireless bandwidth, and some of it's in unlicensed spectrum. So there is a really good chance that we could actually see the price per gigabyte of wireless fall pretty steeply, which means that those of us who want to cut the cord, we could be looking at the same price going wirelessly as it costs now for wired, or maybe even less. I think it could be less because it's going to open up an entire new set of competitors for home internet access when you really think about it. I think the biggest barrier to entry for a lot of these guys, you know, in the Vancouver market here, you've typically got TELUS and Shaw. But if you can go wireless, all the other guys like the Rogers and Bells can just stick one of these boxes on the side of your house and they're in business. They don't have to dig up the entire neighborhood to install, uh, you know, fiber optic lines. That's the theory, but like we're still talking a few years out. So that is the theory, but we'll have to see how 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 it all evolves. Um, I just predicted the future. <laughs> yes, you did, and I we, you might be right. Uh, certainly, one of the things though is that this would only work in urban environments. Uh, you know, I can I can take it up up the Fraser Valley, but you know, you start talking about re- more remote places in BC or the island. Uh, it it really doesn't work in deep rural areas because the the problem with this five G technology is that the signals you're using they don't go that far. They're interrupted by rain and snow, uh, so it really needs to be a pretty dense, uh, dense environment. It doesn't rain here. <laughs> oh, that's right. I forgot about that. <laughs> Duncan, I want to thank you for joining us today. Where can people find out more about these predictions? Well, we have a website, uh, www.tmtpredictions.ca. Uh, you can download. There's videos, infographics, slides, a uh, full PDF report, and then you can follow us on Twitter using the Deloitte Predicts hashtag. Uh, I'm actually coming out to Vancouver and doing an invitation-only event next week, uh, so I look forward to uh, being there. And I, I, I enjoyed hearing your weather forecast. Looks like the temperatures are coming up a little from those frosty temperatures you had last week, so I'm, I'm looking forward to coming to Vancouver. You're still going to freeze. <laughs> Unfortunately, Duncan, I will be there on Monday uh, for your talk. I really look forward to it. I I go to it every year, and uh, I may use your predictions as my own. So. <laughs> That's all right. That's all right. That's what they're there for. Thanks, guys. That was Duncan Stewart, uh, our friend, uh, the director of research over at Deloitte Canada. When we come back from the break, it's Christina time with App of the Week. Back after this. You're back with Get Connected. Mike and Andy here. It's that time of the week. We've got Christina Stoyanova in studio with her App of the Week. What is it this I- time? Um, it's an interesting act- one, actually. I'm fascinated right now by the way things are going in the on the dating scene. So it's a dating app. It's a dating app. Okay. What but makes it, this one different? Because there's like truckloads of these dating there apps. Are there are truckloads of them, and there's more every day. And here's a prime example. This is going in a weird direction. So um, this app requires you to have a LinkedIn profile and to currently be employed. <laughs> <laughs> So if you're unemployed, move along, move along, move along. Uh, What's it called? It's called Be Linked. Be Linked, a dating app tied into your LinkedIn account. So LinkedIn, obviously, uh, where you put 
all your work and, and business details, kind of like your online resume, really, so to speak. Yes, and you have to have like a work history and everything to be able I, to use this. Okay, so... So how do you find pe- people have to sign up for this or does it just yes. scour your LinkedIn for No, no, you have to sign jobs? up. And it's actually a paid one unlike a lot of these other ones that are free. You do pay for a monthly subscription to this. So can you can you search like I'm looking for uh, a C-level business executive, preferably a CEO or president? <laughs> well, I think there are some filters in place, but I, it is very much like all the others where it's swipe left or right essentially. But it will bring that data in. Instead of your profile picture, it's your, your resume. <laughs> <laughs> your annual net income. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Your tax returns. Um, I, yeah, but okay. So I, I, I get the theory, but couldn't you like kind of work around that by just putting like pretend you're a consultant? Yes, or entrepreneur. Or an entrepreneur. Yes. And yeah, I've been employed as uh, Mr. Mike's <laughs> entrepreneurial company since 2011. Yeah, yeah I, I don't know how far it goes. I haven't tested it, Mike. But, <laughs> but you're going to. Sounds like you're going to. You know what? I think I'm going to pass because I feel like it's getting weird now. Like not only are we meeting people online and not in real life, but now we're actually filtering that down to okay. I'm not even going to waste my time getting to know you and asking normal questions. I'm just going to cut right to the chase, make sure that you're employed, make a good salary. Okay, okay, okay. I'm going to step back. We've only got a minute here, but... Uh, <laughs> Are you going to date someone that's unemployed? No. In the real world? But oh, oh, isn't okay. part of Great dating... Filter. Great filter. Yeah. Oh, yeah, isn't you're already filtering part of people. dating getting to know that information about people, though? Yeah, but once you get that information, Christina, <laughs> you're, you're like, yeah, okay, bye, essentially. So you didn't even need the app for that. You're your own app. It, well, I am, which is why I think it's weird that we have this. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and again, the name? Be linked. Be linked. If you want a dating app that works with LinkedIn. That's all the time we have left. I want to thank everyone that helps put the show together. Andy, Christina, and DJ Jazzy Chris on the controls. See you next time.